The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Not only is this our 100th episode, but it airs oh. on April Fool's Day. I was so focused on getting our interview with Johnny Ive, I completely forgot that this actually is an April Fool's Day episode. Oh, I know. Okay, well, we can talk about... Did you hear about the Spotify April Fool's thing? Yes, and and we reported it as fact until you pointed out that um, apparently Spotify is being sold for $14 billion on April 1st. <laughs> that should have been the, the dead giveaway. Yeah. But yeah. Um, we, we have to wait for Johnny to um, call us because he didn't give us his number. We gave him ours. So it's any point in this conversation... Uh, the one and only Johnny Ive is going to be giving us a shout. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so now, now let's let's get into this vulnerability in hotel Wi-Fi, and hopefully he will call us between now and the next five or six minutes. Okay. Now, when so he is actually going to call and talk to us live. He's not going to be on film, as he always is, never having to actually speak in public. So this is Johnny Ive speaking in public to us in real time, correct? Clearly, as the world's most popular podcast, he didn't look into that claim. Excellent. Okay, good to know because this is a this, is a, this will be a huge coup for us. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Here we we have an exclusive interview with Sir Johnny Ive. Yes, we will ask Steve Jobs 2.0 if these iCar rumors are true. Spend time at a foreign hotel using its Wi-Fi? You might be infected. We'll tell you why. It's funny, I'm in a foreign hotel and I'm using Wi-Fi. Uh, like Double Doubles, Poutine and Pickup Trucks, you might be a redneck or a country music listener or eat lunch at Tim Hortons. A metal band of kids would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling record executives. Plus, the last week to win a limited edition Sonus Play One. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So I'm just going to do my speed test here at the uh, Shangri-La Hotel in uh, Singapore on Orchard Grove Road. <laughs> you always do this. This is a cool thing about traveling. You get to see... Just how much better everybody else's internet service is. What was rather interesting here is uh, we arrived in, in Singapore just in time for the state funeral of the father of Singapore, a guy by the name of Lee Kuan Yew. Uh, he was the one that led Singapore forward after the the state was uh, the, the city was kicked out of the Malaysian Federation back in 1965. He died last Monday at the age of 91, and there was a massive, massive, massive state funeral for him yesterday. In our hotel, uh, we had the Prime Minister of India. We had the second-in-command of China. We had the Prime Minister of Thailand. And for a short time, we had Bill Clinton. So going to the ice dispenser is a bit of a chore. <laughs> well, let's just say that there were three armed guards at the elevators on our floor and another guy patrolling with a rifle up and down our hallway. <laughs> Considering all of the trouble that you've got at that uh, hotel, security-wise, uh, you think the hotel Wi-Fi would be the least of your concerns? 
Well, this is true. Uh, but, okay, so you have a story here about the big vulnerability in hotel Wi-Fi putting guests at risk. Now, I'll let you start, and I will finish this one because I do have a finisher for this. There are big vulnerabilities in hotel Wi-Fi, uh, particularly certain types of routers. And I can imagine if Bill Clinton's in the house, that uh, Hillary's probably got them all locked down because, after all, she knows everything about email servers. Yeah, and she'll be just, doesn't matter, she'll be deleting everything before she leaves anyway. Now, there is a problem. Um last year when I was here, oh, here we go. If you look at the story here, the security hole involves an authentication vulnerability in the firmware of several models of in-gate routers made by Ant Labs. Which is a Singapore firm. Correct. Now, last year when I was here, last May, I use uh, Hover.com for all my domain registrations. Okay. And everything was working just fine. They have my outgoing and incoming servers. Everything was going just fine. And then suddenly everything I sent out was being blocked and I couldn't figure out why because I was getting this this image back saying you know you're 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 uh, there's a, there's a vulnerability your 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 ISP is blocking these um, because you're sending out spam so here I am on the far side of the planet unable to send email and I went back and forth and back and forth with uh, uh, hover technical support trying to figure it out and we finally did after two days and you know being without email on the other side of the planet is a very difficult thing but uh, we figured it out and then it turned out that there are these vulnerabilities in high-end asian hotels that basically hijack customers laptops computers and other devices uh, and, and turn them into to zombie bots. 277 of the devices in 29 countries are accessible over the Internet. Uh, and of those devices, the researchers found more than 100 of them were actually located in the United States as well. But 35 were in Singapore, 16 were in the United Kingdom, 11 of them in the United Arab Emirates as well. Yeah, so I got hit with this. Now, I set up my uh, computer and I started going through my email and using my Hover.com account, my alancross.ca account, uh, I started sending out emails, and they have all been rejected. So now I have to use my Gmail server if I want to have any sort of communication with the outside world. And I did run a, um, uh, a virus check on my, my, my Mac, and they found four Trojans. Holy moly. Yeah, so now I've got to call Hover later on today and try and figure out exactly how do I get... Um, I mean, I receive emails, but I just can't send them out. This is a bigger issue because of uh, the lock system. The electronic lock systems are largely Wi-Fi now as well. And so the big fear here is that uh, basically you've got those high-powered uh, politicians staying at your hotel. If they've got one of these rotors that's compromised, you could very easily see an assassin sneak into a room using the Wi-Fi lock system. Holy crap, you're right. I mean, the Prime Minister of India the, in his huge entourage... And the number two guy in China and Bill Clinton and Henry Kissinger, they were all here. And they would have been using the Y. Oh, my God, we've uncovered something. <laughs> hey, we've uncovered. We're, we're getting the Skype call now. Oh, OK. Sir Johnny Ive is the lead designer. Of pretty much everything Apple has put out Uh including the iPod on forward. If you've touched an Apple product in the last 18 years or so, his fingerprints are on it. Very reclusive man, sir. Hello. Thank you so, so much for this interview. Has working at Apple been a dream come true? I can imagine it would be, because that would certainly be my dream. What about you? I, I've been terribly lucky. I've been part of a, an incredible design team for 15, 20 years. Um, a design team where nobody has voluntarily left. Um, 
And so I, I, um, I think in my future, one of my memories at Apple will be less the actual products that we've developed, but the way that we develop them, the way that we work together to develop them. I think that, that, that's been something that I um, every day feel grateful for. How do you feel about being called the new Steve Jobs? Honestly, there's a danger that I'll sound a little bit harsh um, and perhaps a little bit bitter. Because <laughs> I actually don't see it as flattery. I, I'm, not, I'm just talking about the, this issue in general. Now, there is a rumor. I'm a gearhead, so I, I really have to ask this question. There, there, there's a rumor that you're building an autonomous car. Mm. If, if this is true, uh, why build a car in the first place? Right. There are a thousand reasons and many occasions when we nearly gave up. How many people have you had working on this autonomous car? I, I, the rumor is basically you've been working on this for, what, 15 years? Well, the, core, the core team's actually very small. That there, are, um, there are about 16, 17 of us. Um, it's, you know, it's grown um, steadily over the last 15 years. Um, but we've, yeah, we've worked very hard to, um, to keep it very small. And what do you think an autonomous car, what, what do you do in an autonomous car while it's, it's doing all the work? Actually, I'm, I, yeah, I sort of listen to music, make phone calls. Well, it's kind of boring, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so is, is it true, um, Johnny, that the iCar will come in a variety of, well, I don't know if it's called the iCar, but whatever you're planning to call it, will it come in a variety of third-party add-ons to, to customize the look like we've been reading? Um, it can depend what it is. I mean, it can be metal or it can be, um, you know, it can be a plastic. Um, now, there's, there's got to be a horn option in the settings menu of the iCar. And, you know, I, I want the cucaracha horn like, like you hear on some of those cars in Southern California. And I would really, really like that. Um, <laughs> but Frankly, you know, is, is that really, really necessary? You could make it beep or bong or anything. And I just, I, I, I was absolutely intrigued by that, this really clear sense. I wanted to find out who, who did this. Oh, oh but seriously, are, are you sacrificing safety for a feature? You know, removing the steering wheel. Why do that altogether? There's, there's a danger, isn't there, that you, 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 you're seduced by a feature at the expense of making a great product. Okay, let's change gears. <laughs> well, that probably doesn't doesn't fit. But uh, rumor has has it that you're you're working on a human sized gadget for couples who are often apart. Now, this is important for me because I do a lot of business traveling. Uh, what is the ice spouse experience going to be like? There is just something very special about when you have an object with physical beings, and when there's an object to to touch. Everything shifts. You've been working on this for as long as you've been working on the iCar, haven't you? It's always been the case. And what, what, what just shocks me is that I, I, I remain surprised and thrilled every time you get that first, that first model. And, and what is this claim that the, the Apple's support for the gay community is evidence of you, um, you know, your, your regular worship of Satan? We meet religiously as an entire, as the creative team, um, three or four times um, a week. Do you actually sacrifice Android users on a series of altars? Yeah, like the, I don't, you, you, you're familiar with the tables in our stores. Um, they look very, very similar. In fact, they look identical. Thanks again for joining us. Yes, yes, thank you, you very much. I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, car and the ice house.
I hope you enjoyed the Geeks and Beats experience. I think that was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. This is Sonos Limited Edition Blue Notes. Play One speaker is on fire on the Geeks and Beats website right now. This is our big raffle, right? It is our big raffle. And at this point, so far, I'm looking at the Patreon system where you can actually um, get a ticket, as it were, $274.97 worth. <laughs> Somebody didn't donate two bucks. They donated $1.97. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how it works. Uh, to, to win the, the limited edition uh, unit, and there are only 4,200 of these Blue Note uh, Play One speakers sold, uh, you go to the Geeks and Beats website or the Patreon website, and you sign up to become a member of the World's Worst Intern Program. And it's what makes it the World's Worst Intern Program is you have to pay us a dollar to work on the show. But anyone who works on the show will get a ticket, as it were, entered in for the draw. And if you donate 10 bucks, we'll put 10 tickets in that sort of thing and the winner will be announced next week on the april 8th show now we haven't talked that much about the sonos itself although you have pointed out how much you love yours uh, this one here in addition to being this fabulous blue which was spray painted by uh, special robots it also includes uh, the blue note sonos radio station free for a year oh but see i haven't dug deep enough into my settings to see that yet because i've got all my own stuff on my network what, what's that well, it's exclusively on the Blue Note Play 1, so you probably don't get it uh, for Artist Selects, which is uh, vinyl-style hand-picked selections from uh, Robert Glasper, Jose James, Terrence Blanchard, uh, and Don Was, uh, who created uh, curated 125 of his personal favorites. There's the Born in Blue feature, where they bring together legendary Blue Note artists and those who've sampled them for mixes that celebrate that sort of intersection of modern music and legendary jazz. Cool. I see. This is uh, yeah. this is really nice. It's the whole you know music discovery curated music experience. Because if you just leap into any kind of music streaming service, you know you get lost in the twenty five million songs. It's always nice to have something or someone take you by the hand and say, "Look, here are some things that we think you might be interested in. Give it a shot. If you don't like it, we'll try something else." Exactly. So uh, this time around, uh, we, in addition uh, to having uh, Craig Snyder, Victor Biggio, Steve Barra, Bain Matheson, Darren, Thomas Foster, Peter Robel, and a collection of others, including Thomas Foster, James Price, Craig Snyder, and Shilu Modi, uh, we have, for the very first time, Wesley Sadgrove as one of our big time, big shot contributors to the show. He shelled out $100. So that's 100 entries for the Sonos speaker. 100 entries for the Sonos speaker. And because of that, as a patron in residence of the world's most popular podcast, we're sending him a sweet autographed GNB swag pack. He gets to pick a topic for our podcast only segment that others listening to the big show on the radio won't get to hear. And he gets to get the episode earlier than anybody else on top of all that. So now we got to call him up and we got to find out what it is next week he wants us to talk about. Now, we're going to have to, if this keeps happening with regularity, which I hope it does, uh, we're going to have to figure out a level of achievement for people who donate extraordinary amounts of money. I mean, we may need to have um, 
I know there are other podcasts that have knights and dames and uh, barons and that sort of thing. So we're going to have to <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. We're going to have to find, you know, let's let's get all feudal about it. Is this it. a Renaissance fair podcast suddenly? Well, not necessarily, but I think what we, you know, there should be maybe maybe we'd look at it from a military point of view. Maybe, you know, people who are reg- regular listeners are privates and then we have sergeants and then lieutenant uh, colonels and all that kind of stuff all the way up. So we we actually should create a hierarchy like a class system. Oh, your wife's there. Hi, Ann. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't know that you can see her, and she just walked in wearing very little clothing. I, t- <laughs> I, 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 I noticed that. Hi, Ann. How are you? Yeah, she came into the studio to, to charge something. Okay. Now, just to be fair, yeah. uh, there's my wife lying in bed in the hotel. Oh. <laughs> oh. Hi, Ann. <laughs> Well, it's, it just became geeks and beats after dark. <laughs> it did. Or first thing in the morning if you're in Singapore. Uh, first thing in the morning, yes. yes. So in any event, you've got one last week. We will announce the winner uh, next week, um, so long as I've got a place to stay. <laughs> I don't know why I might get kicked out of my own studio. Um, so go to geeksandbeats.com or go to patreon.com slash geeksandbeats and uh, sign up. You can set a limit as well because we'll ding you every episode. So you set a limit as to the number of uh, dollars per episode you want to support us with. And when you're done, You just pull the plug and away you go. Now, if just the chance of winning this $300 sweet piece of swag isn't enough for you and you need something a little more in return if you're going to support the show, uh, you can join us on the Geeks and Beats Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling GNB Mug Tour 2015. For about 30 bucks or so, you get yourself one of these fabulous travel mugs. You take a picture of it on the Innertron uh, using the Twitter with the hashtag GNB Mug Tour 2015. And all the cool kids see how cool you are as well. And we're not going to get as much cash from that as we would get if you went to Patreon, but there you go. Uh, hey, there's an update uh, from across the pond. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. You were 20, Molly Aldo from Western Fiction. Donald Martinez, Silver Machine, coming from Hawkwinds. The BBC has announced a once-loved part of British culture is coming to an end. And no, I'm not talking about that buffoon car show host. You at 15, we've wham bam, the sweet. Down at 40, all the young dudes from Mutt the Hoople. Down at this week's number 13, I get the sweetest feeling from Jackie Wilson. The weekly radio pop chart rundown show will no longer be aired on Sunday evenings from July. The weekly radio show has been a British institution since 1967. Thank you, Mark. And a particular favourite with kids in the 80s who take the music off the radio, skillfully missing out the DJ's intros by using the pause button. Single sales countdown. The official UK Top 40. Hello, this is Scott Mills. It's Radio 1's official UK Top 40, compiled by the British music industry and supported by worldpop.com. But falling ratings and an agreement that all new singles will be released on a Friday prompted the change. The new show will air on Friday afternoons on BBC Radio 1 just after the new data is released, with a live TV show on Children's BBC to tie it in. As for that buffoon car show host, well, his contract hasn't been renewed. Phil Loftus, Geeks and Beats, London. And that was... 
Pickle the Pops. Ta-ra! You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Death metal meets the theme from Friends. This is why we have the internet. <laughs> I thought we had the internet for kitty cats and for something else, and I, I, it slipped my mind. No, we also have the internet for song parodies. This is where anybody can get together and do a inspired version of a well-known song and then distribute it to the world. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, you see, you see them all the time. A couple of weeks ago, there was a punk band that started doing um, punk versions of Taylor Swift songs. And oddly enough, when you arrange a Taylor Swift song from the last album uh, in, a, in a punk sort of way, it all really, really works. So there was this death metal group, uh, and what they have decided to do is take the theme from Friends, which is one of the most execrable themes ever written for television, and they've turned it into a, a death metal version. It is, um, uh, I guess it's a band called Brain, uh, Brian Storm and John Jonathan McEwen. I think Brainstorm sounds a little more accurate. Well, it, it does. It does. Now, what we'll do is we'll post it on, on the sh in the show notes so you can hear it for yourself. But uh, do you want to play a little bit of it? Do we have to? Yeah, I think we, just to give everybody a taste because this is... Like I say, inspired. I'm reading the YouTube comments here, and Kilopita uh, writes, My ears are bleeding. <laughs> uh, which, of course, it sort of sums up the entire collection of YouTube comments. But, of course, there are variations on the theme, including those who go down the um, music nerd angle. Uh, one complaining, Thumbs down for horrible garbage compression. Oh. Did you write that? No, that was Somebody's not me. complaining about the compression. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Rembrandts would probably be rolling over in their graves right now listening to this. Oh, okay. So there's a problem here. Maybe this isn't death metal because somebody says that this is actually death core because death metal is cannibal corpse style and these vocals are death core vocals. Oh, good point. I didn't even know there was variations within the heavy metal theme. Oh, please. Okay. Please. It got me thinking, though, about this, that thing I had read on the Journal of Musical Things. Uh, it was a fascinating article uh, about, uh, you, you wrote it, how did a, a group of 11 and 12-year-olds become hostage to a major label? And the Daily Beast article that you're referring to here was really quite a, an interesting peel back the curtain on the machine uh, that's really running the industry. And it doesn't matter whether you're 11 or 111, they're still going to find a way to screw you yeah you know okay uh this this group called unlocking the truth uh three young black kids playing uh very good living color style metal they became famous for playing in times square um very competent musicians their videos went viral and what ended up happening is that uh, sony came along signed them to a deal that was uh, apparently worth 1.8 million dollars and then from there, it got weird because the label started turning them into something the band wasn't. And, uh, you know, there's all these different meetings. There's the, they're being hauled all over the place. And basically, it is not what the band 
got into. Well, when you're 11 and 12 years old, do you really know what you want? And even if you did, would you be able to uh, verbalize it in a big way? I I think Sinead O'Connor railed against this in the 80s as well, about sitting in meetings uh, with uh, industry executives, with them trying to to change her. And you take it all the way back to Pink Floyd, you know, which one's pink? Yeah, I know. You would think, well, it all depended on the representation. Who was looking after these kids' best interests? And, you know, $1.8 million sounds like an awful lot of money, but basically that's like a sports, one of those sports contract announcements when you add, you know, they're, they're hundreds of millions of dollars, but the contract is only worth that much money if all these benchmarks are set over a period of seven or eight or nine or ten years. And the $1.8 million was for five records and included all of their advances. That's right. So they need to sell over a quarter million copies of each album, which nobody does these days. What, what's a, what's an album sell for? You know, well, if I, platinum is what? What is two hundred fifty thousand? Platinum in the U.S. is, is a million. Uh, gold is five hundred thousand. So two hundred fifty thousand copies of anything these days is a big deal. I don't I don't really see it happening. I can't remember what the stats are. Every February or March. The recording industry of Associ- uh, the recording industry Association of America comes out with their list of albums that have sold what over the previous year, and the number of albums that reach the hundred thousand unit mark drop every single year. So I don't think if you look back at uh, 2014, I bet you'd find it. I don't know less than 15 albums that sold 250,000 copies. So the band Unlocking the Truth is trying to get out of its contract with Sony Music because they just didn't know what they were getting into in the first place? Well, maybe. Uh, They're also realizing that not only does it require them to sell 250,000 copies of each of the five successive albums, but it's also a 306, one of those 360 deals that also takes a cut of touring, publishing, merchandise, and everything else. So um, these, these, these kids, these kids... Uh, are basically getting screwed. That 360 idea being that these kids are sitting in meetings and, and admitting that you know some of these meetings were six hours long. We're, you know, we're 12 years old for crying out loud. We can't sit through six hours of anything unless it's got Xbox written in front of it. But that uh, they had actually come up with a 360 degree plan for these kids. They showed them cartoon characters based upon them. They actually had a TV show for these kids before these kids even had their first album on the store shelf. Yeah, you know, so they want to turn them into, uh, you know, like a Saturday morning cartoon type thing. And because they feel that their marketing people feel that that's where their, their, their audience lies. And the only way to reach those kids is through cartoons, apparently. So I feel bad for them because they're very competent musicians and they do play with an awful lot of passion. But to see them you know, turn into something that they're not. But this that happens all the time. I mean, you. Uh, I mean, how many movies have you seen where where somebody is signed to a record deal and then all of a sudden they want to completely rechange them into something else? Meantime, and I guess this sort of segues into this from the the cartoon angle of of this. You were watching The Family Guy one night, and of course Peter Griffin has his birthday. They sing him Happy Birthday, and somewhere somebody made some money. Oh look, it's one of those cards where you can record your own message. Come on, open it up. Hi, Peter. Happy birthday. Just wanted to send our wishes from Virginia. Bye. Okay, Donna, I'm done. I'm going to go mail this card. Oh, 
This is one of the most fascinating stories in music copyright. Now, I know at the moment you mentioned copyright. <laughs> okay, how exciting is a music story about copyright? I know, but Happy Birthday's origins go back to 1893. A couple of sisters who wrote a song called Good Morning to You from, they were teachers, and they this was for their, their class. And over the years... It became Happy Birthday to You. It got copyrighted and eventually picked up by Warner Chapel, the music publishing company. And they have been able to maintain control over the copyright of this song from 1893, which should have passed into the public domain decades ago. But through various bits of chicanery, they have managed to keep what is the world's most popular song under copyright this entire time. So this explains a couple of things. So when you see a movie and somebody has a birthday, what song do they sing? Usually not Happy Birthday, it's For He's a Jolly Good Fellow or something like that. When you go to a restaurant and somebody at the next table has a birthday and the waiter, wait staff gathers around them with one of these cakes and a fizzler on top, they have some sort of proprietary birthday song that they, they sing. The reason they don't sing Happy Birthday to you in these cases is because the song is copyrighted. And if you do perform it publicly, you technically owe Warner Chapel a royalty. So when I was watching Family Guy the other day and they actually sang Happy Birthday to you, it was like, wow, how much did that cost them? 750 to 5000 thousand dollars and i guess the five grand would likely be for a popular tv show such as family guy right so they would have paid five grand for that now there there is a a documentary that's being shot on this whole thing and the wild thing about the documentary is that even though it's about this copyright issue with warner chapel and happy birthday is that they couldn't use the song in the movie <laughs> it is it has gone to court and they're trying to figure out exactly whether or not the copyright on happy birthday is still valid they've got two words for warner chappelle and it's not happy birthday <laughs> We were talking last week on Geeks and Beats about uh, the robotic bartender, and there was a $430 model that we could buy that would mix a drink for us in five seconds flat, and I think I've topped it. Oh? Yes. The robotic bartender from Hammaker Schlemmer... Are they still around? ...is not $430. This one is $25,000. Okay. First of all, I didn't know how much Schlemmer was still around, but, and they have a $25,000 electronic... Okay. Yes, it's called a computerized mixologist. It's uh, about the size of a small rolling bar, and it's got a touch screen on the front that looks like a microwave on a pedestal. And uh, the interface allows you to select drink categories such as neats, martinis, tropical drinks, which I don't know about you, but when I'm on vacation, it's all girly drinks for me. Uh, as well as um, you can search alphabetically, choose a spirit. It has a 600-drink database for matching cocktails. And you can view any of the ingredients. You can actually invent new drinks and customize your traditional cocktails. Uh, and the most important feature, increase the liquor proportions. It holds up to 16 750 mil or one liter bottles of spirits, not included. <laughs> yes. 12 mixers. Countertop holds up to 20 pounds of ice. Built-in garnish tray that keeps blue cheese, olives, and lemon twists close at hand. Holy crap, look at this thing. Oh, and it comes, it's on wheels. 
so you can move it around the house. And you've got three options. It can either be in stainless steel, metal, or wood veneer, depending on whether you want to uh, pretend that you've got a robot from the 21st century, the 20th century, or from 1960. Can you imagine if this was around during the Mad Men era? They would lose their minds. Nothing would ever get done. Not that anything ever gets done on that show anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this. Well, you know what this would mean is if, if this Star Trek Next Generation got it wrong, there would be no need for 10 forward and we wouldn't have Guinan. Why would you need a bartender? Yeah, you didn't need a, bar, a bartender on that version of the Enterprise anyway because you already had the empath on the bridge, right? And you had your replicators. So really, I mean, there was no point for Whoopi Goldberg to be on Next Generation. You could say that about The View. Oh, listen, I'll say that about The View anytime. Uh, you found this interesting correlation between the type of uh, music you like and, I suppose, uh, how you take your coffee. I, uh, there was an Enveronics pool. I love these these uh, psychographic pools that apparently come up every that come up every once in a while. And Enveronics went through the seven hundred and fifty thousand different postal codes that we have across the country and came up with uh, they, they parsed this big data and they came up with with all these sort of psychographic. Uh, profiles for people in various parts of the country and for people who do certain things as part of their everyday. And one of the things they found out is that if you tend to have your lunch at Tim Hortons, mm-hmm. you tend to like country music. And I just thought that, that was that was kind of cool. So I'm going to just let's hang on. Let's just have some fun with this. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me call it up. Um, if you uh, lunch at Tim's, you are more likely to be single or divorced. You are more likely to have low education levels and low income. You own your home, but most likely in a smaller city. In addition to enjoying country music and gambling, you like the fishing. Right. So uh, I need your postal code here. Uh, I've already entered my postal code. Oh, okay. And I live in a arts and affluence neighborhood. Yeah, you do. Wealthy, established urban families and couples. Um, and uh, the ethnic presence in my neighborhood is low, um, which is no surprise because I live in Riverdale with Archie and Jughead. I don't even know if there is a black character in that comic book. Uh, not the ones that I remember from my day, but uh, I live in a kids and careers area. Which is funny because you have neither a kid nor a career. This is true. I'm known for sprawling families. More than 40% have four or more kids. We have none. Um, living in the nation's second-tier cities, which I guess Oakville, Ontario is. Parents are middle-aged. Children are between 10 and 25 years old. 85% live in single-family homes. Well, wait, wait a minute. Hang on for a second. You don't have any kids, but the average is four. So if you are bringing down the average by having none, how many kids live next door to you? And how frequently do you tell them to get off your lawn? That's the point. We belong to golf and fitness clubs. No golf. We do go to fitness clubs. We shop at upscale malls. No, we don't do that. Big box stores, uh, occasionally. Attend pro sporting events, only because that's part of the things that I do for a living. If you want to uh, find out whether or not you yourself um, are uh, considered to be lazy, poor, and fan of country music, it almost sounds like we're writing a country music song in into itself. It does. Go to geeksandbeats.com, punch in your uh, postal code, and find out what your neighbors think of you. Okay, here's one uh, for me. They relax in family rooms fitted with home theater systems, iPads, and gaming devices. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's like they talk to you personally. I'm, I'm just going to do one other thing. I'm going to enter my parents' postal code. All right. Well, while you're doing that, we'll move on uh, to Gene Simmons uh, and his relationship with the World Wrestling Federation. GMB writer Shane Alexander uh, reports he was sporting face paint before Demolition and Ultimate Warrior. Now the Ultimate Entertainer is tagged up with the leader in sports entertainment yeah. to make horror flicks. 
Okay, so the WWE has seen better times. Uh, I would imagine that Kiss has seen better times. And if you've seen Gene Simmons lately, as I have at the LAX airport, he's seen better times. You didn't tell me you saw him there. Yeah, and he was. Yeah, I, I, I felt like I had to wash after seeing him and and get a test. Gene uh, once told me I was a very attractive man. Well, <laughs> I didn't know what I, to make of that, but I, I, I don't know what you do with that. He's the one who sticks the tongue out, right? Yeah, yeah. He was he was sitting across from me. We're having an interview, and he goes, "Hmm, has anyone ever told you you are a very attractive man?" <laughs> So this is from a man who has slept with 5,000 women. I don't know what to say. WWE Studios and Gene Simmons. I don't know what to say either, by the way. Uh, teaming up to launch Erebus Pictures that will uh, finance and produce horror movies. Of course, the Erebus is uh, the Greek god representing the personification of darkness. You know, he also should get together with Kirk Hammett of uh, Metallica, who has a very big horror movie franchise of his own. I can't remember what it's called. Kill Evil Music or something. And he holds a, a big conference every year. So he would be, and he's got a great collection of horror movie stuff. They've got a three-picture deal, and the first one is for a film called Temple. They'll start filming later this summer, and their second feature goes into production later this year. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I got nothing else to say. Uh, according to the president of WWE Studios, which I guess they don't call it WWF anymore because of the World Wildlife Federation. Yeah, yeah it was about, what was it, 15 or, 15 or 20 years ago they had to... Oh, hang on. I just, this is rather interesting. I want to know if you can see this. Uh, I just picked up a bottle of water here in my um, hotel room. Okay. Can you see? It's Doctor Who? Yes. Branded water? Yes. Is the bottle bigger on the inside? I don't know. It says it's 500 milliliters, but it looks like a 500 milliliter bottle. You open it up and it never ends. <laughs> I just I just noticed that. Okay, there you go. Okay, the president of WWE says horror films fall into a genre that thrives on genuine passion, and I believe this partnership truly capitalizes on that sentiment and supports our vision. If there's anything to be said about Gene Simmons is that he is definitely a tireless self-promoter. Well, he is, and he has done everything from movies and television to, do you remember... Tongue magazine? No. He actually had a, a glossy magazine called Tongue. Of course he did. And it just, well, what was the centerfold of Tongue magazine? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, do I really want to know? I, you know? That's a really good question, but I... Uh... I, I I've never I saw it on the shelf and I picked it up and it got all greasy in my hand and I, was it on the top shelf was there cardboard in front of it could you only read the label it was it was right with the uh, you know the loaded and the maxims and all those magazines man oh man it was his attempt at an American lad magazine oh lovely just what we needed was another one of those. A group of biohackers have figured out a way to inject your eyeballs with night vision, and it turns your eyeballs all black. How crazy is that? So it's like the dark oil on X-Files. It's exactly that sort of thing, which, by the way, I've been starting to watch again lately. Oregon female, age 21, no explainable cause of death. Autopsy shows nothing. There are, however, these two distinct marks on her lower back. I've arranged to exhume one of the other victims' bodies to see if we can get a tissue sample to match the girls. Corpses in advanced stages of decay and desiccation. Distinguishing features include large ocular cavities, oblate cranium. Indicate subject is not human. Major Mulder, I'm Dana Scully. I've been assigned to work with you. Riding 
around in flying saucers. It's crazy, Mulder. There is nothing to support that. Listen to me, Scully. This thing exists. But how do you... The government knows about it. And I gotta know what they're protecting. We'll pack and leave town immediately or assume the consequences of intense indiscretion. I have a confirmed fallen angel in Sector 87. I'm telling you, it's like the Roswell cover-up all over again. He wants to shut down the X-Files and he wants you out of the Bureau. How do you respond to these allegations, Agent Mulder? We've got a downcraft in those woods, sir. We both know what's out there. I miss that show. It's coming back for six episodes. Six episodes that'll wrap everything up. It's not going to be like six fresh episodes of a new season. They're trying to tie up loose ends from the previous two films, which leads us to wonder, of course, are you in fact going to see the two of them finally make out? I don't know. After 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 watching David Duchovny in Californication, I would like to spare Gillian Anderson that kind of heartache. <laughs> The team of uh, scientists from California-based Science for the Masses have a compound called Chlorine E6, which is found in deep-sea fish. You can use it to treat some forms of night blindness and cancer, and so they've been working on this on animals, and so they finally figured, what the hell, let's try it on a human. So they tried it on one of their own researchers, and the guy developed uh, the ability to see hand-sized shapes 33 feet away in almost total darkness. No kidding. They went to a grove of trees 50 meters away. He would use a laser pointer to point out the people hiding in the bushes. Wow. It wears off, unfortunately. By the next morning, his eyesight returned to normal. No noticeable effects. And his eyes went back to being white? His eyes went back to being completely normal. All you need to do is have these drops put in your eyes and whammo, night vision. Peeping Tom superpowers. (laughs) Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.